You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. We're going to be in 2 Timothy today. Um, and so if you've got a Bible, open it up to 2 Timothy. And um, I'm, going to, I'm going to begin the book for us. And then this is my last sermon for like six weeks. And so this will be the longest time I've ever gone um, without preaching at New Heights. And so we're doing something a little bit different in this season. And so I want to take a moment just to cast vision for that um, at the beginning of the sermon today. Um, we're going to be going through 2 Timothy. And um, it's a season where we're going to be inviting in pastors who were very influential in the starting of our church a decade ago um, and who have been helpful kind of behind the scenes. Um, Two of our other pastors, fathers-in-law, are going to be coming to preach for us. Uh, Roger Jordan will be preaching next week, and uh, Mark Piles will be preaching at the end of the series. Roger is uh, Jeremy Berry's father-in-law. Mark is uh, Jeremy Ball's father-in-law. And um, and then in between them, we're going to have our Cindy pastor, so who was pastor of the church that sent us, Cross Lanes Baptist. Uh, their pastor, Seth Polk, is going to be coming down. Um, David Pinckney, who's the director of Acts 29 Rural, is going to be coming down from New Hampshire to preach for us. And uh, Jim Drake's going to be coming up, who's a guy who's advised and, and counseled me. Um, he's going to be coming up from Bluefield, Virginia. And so these guys are, are representations of uh, longer tenures and experience in ministry. And so I want you to prioritize this season uh, to be at church. We're also going to be doing some online stuff starting this coming Wednesday night. We'll have an online uh, viewing uh, as we converse through the entire book of Second Timothy. So this series, Carry On, is going to be a mixture of Sunday mornings as well as online on Wednesday and Sunday nights. And so we hope that you'll prioritize this time. We're also um, in, a, in a critical season as a church as we look at lots of uh, new opportunities. We're going to be having a meeting tonight that I hope you can prioritize and come back tonight at 6.30 as we have a, a meeting to discuss buying a new building. Um, perfect illustration of that need is behind me as water leaks into our building currently. Uh, we rent this space that we're in right now, so we don't own this space, and um, $100,000 to put a new roof on a space we don't own is a lot of money, and so we just deal with the leaks and let the baptistry catch the rain as it comes in at times, and so we've dealt with it as, as well as we think we can, and we didn't go seeking a, a new building for um, those reasons specifically, but one came available, the old movie theater down the street from us, and so we wanted to at least entertain that. Um, We spent the past couple of weeks gathering data, um, talking to professionals, looking at the financial things, and so we're going to talk more about that tonight. Um, But that, I think, that plays in, even the timing of finding a building for sale really plays into what we want to focus in this season, um, which is gospel legacy. And we talk about buying a building rather than renting a building, um, owning something that will, that, and, and by God's grace, we'll be able to pay off and, and leave for even people after we are dead and gone that can, that can continue in ministry in a space like that, um, really has everything to do with what we want to focus on in this season as a church as we focus beyond ourselves and look into what God has us uh, doing in the long term. We want to spend some time this month celebrating. We want to take time to look back on memories. Even those of you who maybe haven't been around for those for a lot of years, uh, we don't want you to feel like you're not included in that. It's good for you to know kind of how this 
family came to be and how we got going. Um, and it's good to look back and celebrate those things. We see lots of examples of that in the Bible. Uh, we're going to glean wisdom from these pastors that are going to come in and preach uh, for us. And so, uh, again, I would ask of you, church, that um, as your pastor, I want to encourage you to prioritize this time because it's going to be good for us as a church to hear from seasoned men who have been in ministry longer than our church has even existed to come in and share wisdom and advice with us. And it's also a great season of outreach for our church. I'm praying that over the next six weeks that we see lots of people come to faith in Christ. Um, in this season, we have Vacation Bible School, which is just a great opportunity for you to invite friends um, who have children to come out and um, hear from uh, our teachers and, and have fun and learn about the gospel. It's also um, in this season, we're going to have Tailgate Church, which is a great opportunity to invite lost people to come and be with us. We're going to celebrate baptisms at Tailgate Church. And um, so there's lots of opportunity for you to share the gospel during this season and use it as leverage to see the church actually grow in this season. Again, all of it working toward the idea of legacy. Uh, we corporately as a church, New Heights, we want to leave a good legacy, but I want us to focus individually as well, that individually we work hard to leave a good legacy. What I mean by legacy is simply work that continues on after we are gone. Um, what work will exist after we're gone that's a, that begins to be a foundation or fruit of what we leave behind? Um, one of my favorite traditions in the Basham family is that we, um, every year on my birthday, uh, which is in June, so at the beginning of the summer, June 10th, we try on, uh, in or around that day to go um, to Audra State Park. A while back, we began to visit all of the West Virginia state parks in alphabetical order, and we got to Audra, which is the first one, and we stopped because it was our favorite. And, um, and, and so it's Campsite 4. If you ever want to go to Audra State Park, Campsite 4 is the best one. And so we go to Audra State Park, Campsite 4, every year on my birthday. And we're sitting around a campfire one year, and I think it was Judah that said it. Um, he, he said, Dad, I like that we come up here every, every year for your birthday. And, you know, one day when you're dead, uh, I want to keep doing this. <laughs> and it was like a really morbid thought. Uh, but I had like this sentimental, this is us type of moment uh, as well, because I, I was able to kind of visualize and imagine my, my adult children, maybe even having children of their own, um, kind of gathering in at campsite four, um, even after, after dad is with Jesus. And so my prayer is that as a church that we can leave a legacy. Um, and I mean, you think of how pervasive and how expansive um, our influences are. I mean, just in our church and a couple services today, we're down in number with COVID and rain and all that and vacations, but just imagine the people that have gathered in this building today um, or that are watching online and how many people that you influence, that, that you have that are family members or you have that you work with. I mean, it, it is literally impossible for us to trace all the corners with which the ministry of New Heights touches. And I want us to capitalize on that. I don't want us as a church to just kind of miss that and be like, yeah, this is what we do on Sunday. It has to be more than that. It has to be deeper than that. And it has to work within us a deep-rooted, emotive response to the gospel that it, it is vastly important. It's eternally important that we stay on mission for God's glory. That's what 2 Timothy is all about. As Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, an old pastor writing to a young pastor, which is what we're going to see in these sermons, is this older pastor saying, you have to carry on the faith. After I'm gone, we need you to carry this on. In verse 1, Paul begins. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. 
And so Paul is, of course, the itinerant apostolic missionary most prominent in the New Testament. Paul wrote about half of the New Testament in the Bible. Uh, Paul traveled around planting churches. He was, he was a persecutor of the church right after the resurrection. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, changed his life, made him a Christian, and Paul began to plant churches. And, and Paul, we know Paul planted at least 14 churches. He may have... Um, in he may have planted more than that, either directly or indirectly. Um, but we even see Paul, um, it, when he writes to Rome, uh, wanting to go to Spain, uh, which, is, which is a beautiful picture of what Paul wanted to accomplish with his life. He wanted to go, um, I mean, you think of someone who's born in like the Middle East and what Spain would have represented. It would have been literally the edge of the known world on the, on the coast of the Atlantic Ocean. He said, I want to go to Spain and plant a church there. So Paul is wanting to go literally as far as he can to the edges of the earth in his mind so that he can plant churches so that um, legacy can continue all over the world in Jesus' resurrection. And so Paul here in this itinerant ministry um, it kind of adopts in these apprentices, one of which is Timothy. And as he is getting ready to die, he writes uh, letters to them, and we, see, we have those and, and how we can glean from them. And so well, what we see from Paul is that he was martyred uh, by Nero, uh, who was an antichrist Roman emperor, uh, who actually, Nero actually killed himself in, eight, in June of AD 68. And so we know that since some, from church testimony, since Nero's the one that put Paul to death, we know that um, his death was probably shortly before Nero's, which means, which would put Paul's death around AD 67 or the beginning part of AD 68. And so that's probably the time that Second Timothy's written. He's in prison when he writes this. Um, you could imagine it as if he's on death row. Uh, most likely the Roman government has already sentenced Paul to death. He knows his death is coming. Um, he knows that that is what awaits him, and he writes this letter to Timothy knowing he's going to die. And so you have this kind of weighty, um, heartfelt note from Paul as he writes to Timothy, and I'm excited to go through it together as a church. Now, in this opening address in verse 1, he introduces his apostleship according to what he calls the promise of life. And so as Paul sits in a jail cell on death row, um, he is basing his mindset not on his, his temporal life, but the eternal life that has been given to him from Jesus Christ. Um, Paul said in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, which is the church that Timothy's at, um, Timothy's pastor in Ephesus at this time, in Acts chapter 20, Paul writes, I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so we find purpose in, um, in this act that we give our lives away. We are most like Jesus when we give our lives away. That, that our entire existence isn't ultimately meant for our comfort. It's meant to be given away for God's glory. And, and so he writes, uh, continues in verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, this is who the letter's addressed to, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul calls Timothy his beloved child. We meet Timothy, I want to backtrack to the book of Acts a little bit, we meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16, um, and the city that Timothy's from, Paul visits in Acts chapter 14 and preaches the gospel there. This is probably when uh, Timothy, who was already a worshiper of God, it's probably when Timothy actually uh, hears of the resurrection first and becomes what we call a, a new covenant Christian. And so in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, 
It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered for them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And so Timothy, again, and his family probably, had likely heard the gospel initially from Paul himself. Now, when Paul and Silas travel back through the churches that they had planted, they stop and visit, and the church testifies, hey, this young man, Timothy, he's getting after it. He's devoted to the gospel. He's working hard in the church. He's preaching. He's doing all these things. He's teaching us the scriptures. And so Paul sees in Timothy potential. And he takes that potential, and we see that um, Paul recognizes all the, the unique uh, position that God had put Timothy in. Uh, he had a Jewish background. He had a Jewish mother. We learn of Lois and Eunice in the coming verses uh, that we're going to do a video on this week. But um, Timothy had these Jewish upbringings where he was rooted in the Old Testament Scripture. So he knew the Old Testament really well. He had a knowledge of Scripture, and so this was a good potential for ministry. But then also, Timothy had a Greek father, which meant that he was connected also into Greek culture and uh, relationships in, gen in the Gentile world as well. But then all of that, concluding in the fact that the church testified that Timothy was faithful, that he was serving in the church, that he was working in the church, this all led to Paul saying, I'm going to make Timothy an apprentice. I'm going to take Timothy with me and train him. And so he begins to disciple Timothy. He takes Timothy with him places. Um, and, and their relationship is a close relationship, so much so that Paul circumcises Timothy. Anybody else think that's a little weird? Um, it's strange. Um, it may have even been a mistake by Paul. Um, God didn't command that Paul do this, uh, but Paul did it as an effort to be able to reach Jew and Gentile. And, um, and, and so he does this. Matter of fact, there's another man that Paul apprentices named Titus. There's a book in your Bible of a letter written to him. But in Galatians 2, it says, even Titus, who was with me, Paul's writing, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. And so, um, so Titus was not circumcised as an adult, but Timothy was. And I just wondered, like, did Timothy and Titus ever sit around at the campfire with Paul? And Timothy, like, hate Titus because he didn't have to go through that. You know, I don't, I don't know what that was like. But, um, but nevertheless, you see this, um, this importance that is placed on their ministry that they are absolutely willing to do whatever it takes so that the gospel goes forward. That they're so committed to the gospel that even enduring physical pain is but a passing thought as they carry the gospel. And, and I think sometimes, especially in American culture, we lose this fervor. We lose this a beautiful passion to reach people with the gospel. I'm not saying to the extremity that you have to mutilate your body, but to the point that we're willing to do whatever it takes for the gospel to go forward. Can we, can we do that as God's people? It is vital to us. And Paul continues in the letter in Actually, in his first letter, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he calls Timothy this. He says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. And so I want us to spend a minute asking ourselves this. Do you have children in the faith? Do you have those in the faith that, that you could look to and say, I've invested deeply relationally and in the gospel in this person? And if you don't, I would encourage you to begin to pray about that and begin to take practical steps to reach 
um, to reach someone and disciple them. Maybe you're young and you don't have anyone who has discipled or invested in you. I would also encourage you to think about who you could reach out to and ask them, hey, can we, can we meet once a month or a couple times a month to read the Bible together? Um, you'd be amazed at how close God, God's Spirit will bring you together. And so I want to uh, finish with these last two verses by looking at two things. We're going to look back and we're going to look forward. Looking back and looking forward. Um, as we take a minute to look back, um, again, we're entering into six weeks of remembrance as a church. And um, on this day 10 years ago, um, exactly 10 years ago today, I quit my job at West Virginia Tractor Company, which is my dad's company. I quit slinging uh, machine parts. And I told my dad, take this job and shove it. And I walked out the door and never looked back again. Um, and, and that was a huge leap of faith to walk away from a comfortable salary to go out and, and start a church. And, um, and what, what I've seen more than anything over the past 10 years is that God has been faithful to provide, not only for me and my family, but to provide for New Heights Church. We've never had a bill that we couldn't pay. We've had some roofs that leak, but we've never had a bill we couldn't pay. We've never gone without something we needed to take the gospel to those who needed it. Um, it's an amazing testimony, not of, not of our might, but of God's faithfulness. Um, I climbed uh, Seneca Rock maybe four years ago. If you've ever climbed it, you know it's a pretty, pretty steep trail. And you, Obviously, I'm a physically fit person, but it's a big mountain. All right, and, um, and so we're climbing it, and I'm getting exhausted, and I'm about to pass out. And I remember right about the time we get to the top, a storm bigger than the one we're in right now comes in, and there's thunder and lightning. And I remember my wife saying, we're not going to go out on the rocks, number one, because we have kids, and they'll fall off and die. But also, there's like lightning out there. And I looked her in the eyes, and I was like, I'm not nearly dying on the climb to not go out and see the view out there. And so I go out into this thunderstorm, and I'm like, I'm like Thor or something. Like I'm out there and I'm literally like in the thunderstorm, you know, risking my life like an idiot. And, um, and, and I, I just remember looking down, I don't know if you've ever been on Seneca, but it is an, a breathtaking view to look down and see how far the ground is below you. Uh, if you've never been up there in a thunderstorm, you're really missing out. But I wasn't amazed by how close I was to the sky. You see, when you climb into a great height or a new height, if you will, um, and it, we rarely look up and say, man, I'm a lot closer to the sun. That's not what we notice, but rather we look down or we look back, so to speak, and we can say, look how far we've come. And, and, and with, with that, we can look back and we can see God's faithfulness and we can take a moment to kind of take in the view, and this is what we want to do as a church this month, we'll take in the view and just say, wow, God has been great to us. God has given us so much more than we deserve. God has been so faithful when we haven't been. 223 people have been baptized at New Heights Church in the past 10 years. Only God can do that. Only God can regenerate souls and bring them to life. Yeah, amen. Only God can, can, can resurrect someone from the depravity of their sin to the point that they're willing to get in the bed of a truck or in that horse trough and be dunked underwater to say, I love Jesus and I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. Only God can produce that in people. And that's not even considering the baptisms at our three daughter churches, our granddaughter church in Ashland. Like, that's not even considering what God's doing there. Uh, if, if you have time, I would encourage you to check out in the back. We have a, a picture frame of, of a family tree of kind of how our church was planted and other churches we've planted. And 
And you can kind of look at that and see this kind of uh, story of New Heights and kind of see our place in that. Um, most of y'all have seen me bragging on social media about this pulpit um, that came from Trace Creek, the holler I grew up on. Uh, it came out of a church that had a, a ministry of about 100 years. And, and some people will say, well, that, that church didn't succeed because that church closed down and nobody gathers in that church anymore and you took their pulpit and now you're repurposing it. And, and, but, the, but the beauty of it is, is that, that they produce in those people a, a gospel heritage that was passed on to their families. And even as families moved away, the gospel was carried by those people. You see, it was never about the building. It was always about God's spirit living in his people to carry it to the edges of the earth. And at New Heights, I want us to see that we're a small speck in a bigger story. And, and we'd be foolish to think that we're all going to still be here in another 10 years. Some of us, unfortunately, are going to be taken home to be with Jesus. Some of us, circumstances might take us to other cities or live in other places. Some of us might still be in the same place, continuing in this region for gospel-centered work here. But wherever we find ourselves, God will be there. Because God, uh, God permeates beyond just the constraints of a building or a location. You see, Paul ties his and Timothy's stories in with a grander story, a grander narrative of redemption. In verse 3, he mentions his ancestors. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Now, the syntax in this sentence, especially in Greek, is a little bit confusing. It's translated a little bit differently in different English translations because Paul's saying a few things here. Sometimes he gets a little rambly like me. But I want to break down three things that Paul is saying. The first thing he's saying is that he served God with a clear conscience. Paul here is on death row and he has been found guilty, but yet he is able to look within himself and through the, the, the knowledge of the crucifixion and the resurrection, he's able to look at his life and say, I'm not guilty. When he says clear conscience, the word means pure or clean. Most of us probably came in today with a heavy conscience having committed sin this past week. Most of us, if we're honest, find ourselves in this place where we're just sitting here, and if we take a moment to let our mind drift away from distractions and drift into a focused reality of the sin we've committed, we'll find ourselves condemned before a holy God. Matter of fact, I want to ask you to do that in this moment. Just begin to think about maybe the ways that you've failed this past week or in the past month, ways that you've been unfaithful ways that you failed to live up to what God has placed before you. And I want you to take a time to just bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm not doing an altar call right now, I promise, but just in the middle of the sermon, I want you to really, to center yourself, close your eyes, bow your heads, and think about your own soul and your own actions and think about the sins you've committed. And I want you to know you're sitting in a room full of people that are just as messed up as you. Maybe no one knows what you've done. Maybe no one knows the guilt in your heart. Maybe your spouse doesn't even know how wretched and depraved you are, but God knows. And here's what the gospel is. It's the good news that Jesus knows every bit of how, how sinful you are and every act that you're thinking about in this moment. He's met you in that place to forgive you of it, to, to take it away from you, to cleanse your conscience for his glory. What a great savior we serve. And so as you have your eyes closed and you meditate on those things and you listen to the, the soothing sound of a waterfall, I really want you to just take a minute to realize Jesus died for you. Some of y'all might, might be realizing that personally for the first time today.
Let me pray over you as you think on those things. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these saints. And, and God, I, I, I thank you that they can look and dwell on their sin and focus on it and turn their attention to it, but not live in it. God, would you remind these sons and daughters of this royal family, this kingdom that you've built called the church, that they are forgiven. Would you remind them freshly today that you took care of all the sin they've committed this week 2,000 years ago on a cross, and you rose from the dead to make sure that nothing they ever did would condemn them again. God, I pray that they would walk through their lives with the confidence of the Apostle Paul saying, I have a clear conscience. I worship God with a clear conscience. God, refresh them in the gospel. Refresh our church in the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me continue preaching. The second thing, you can lift your heads. The second thing that, um, that Paul says he says he served God with a clear conscience, but he also says his ancestors served God too. Paul recognizes again his place in redemptive history, that he's a small piece of a larger puzzle. You see this, this um, you, you ever, when, when someone does a puzzle, do you ever steal a piece? Am I the only depraved person that does this while we're talking about sin and confessing things? I used to always do this when we would, like my Nana would do puzzles, I would steal a piece and keep it in my pocket or put it in my room for a little while until we got to the end. And she's like, I lost a piece somewhere. I'd be like, I get to finish the puzzle. And I put no work into it at all. Um, but, but you see, you know, a thousand piece puzzle, one piece is, is very important to the whole picture. And what you begin to see is that even though the ministry of New Heights Church is a small piece of a bigger puzzle, it is a beautiful piece. It's It's important. And, and, and if you want to drill down even further, the things that you do individually within this church matter. They're, they're greatly important to a God who is infinitely big. This is what's so beautiful about the gospel is a God that's pervasive over the whole universe and has created thousands or millions maybe of galaxies that the Webb telescope can't even take pictures of and we can't comprehend. This God of all the, the majesty knows what you've dealt with this week. And he cares about it. He cares deeply about it. And he cares about our little church, and he cares about our ministry, and he cares deeply about what we do. And so when Paul says that his ancestors served God, he's longing to continue to carry out his piece of the puzzle. You see, this process that you just went through of repentance through the gospel has been carried out by Christians for millennia. It's not just an American thing. This is, a, this is a God thing that has carried on for generations and generations and generations, and we need to carry that banner and pass it on faithfully to the people that come after us. You see, we tend to be way too short-sighted. We tend to think that we want our ministry to grow and be successful, and we, even like with the, with the consideration of purchasing a building, we want to buy a building so that we can be more comfortable in our church next year. And we can have a building that doesn't leak water next year. But it's, it's, that's far too short-sighted of what God wants us to be about. That, that we should long to have a presence that would live on beyond us. That, that our, our desire should not be for our own comfort in our lifetime, but the, the, the furtherance of the gospel in lifetimes that come after us. And so Paul says... I thank God as my ancestors did. I'm thankful to continue in this legacy. And the third thing he says is he thanked God as he remembered Timothy constantly in prayer. That he prays for those whom he had discipled night and day, constantly. 
Paul prayed for Timothy faithfully even though he couldn't be with him. He thanked God for ministry and memories and experiences that he had with Timothy. As we begin to look forward, as we remember the past and thank God for it, but then as we transition and look forward, I want you to ask yourself, what will the next 10 years look like? And what's your piece in that puzzle? And what are you supposed to do to bring glory to God? It's an important question to ask. And my exhortation to you today that it would be such a deep-rooted, gospel-centered, relational piece of your life that you would be able to live in a way that Paul and Timothy lived. Look at verse 4. Paul says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. He says, as I remember your tears. So tears, he's, he's saying, he's referring to a time that Timothy cried and wept. Um, I, I think, I tend to think that Paul is probably referencing the last time he saw Timothy and said goodbye to Timothy. Um, and, and as he's leaving Ephesus, Timothy's weeping and crying. And my prayer for our church is that we would have relationships that deep, that when we say goodbye to someone, that it would incite such emotion in us that we would actually uh, be moved to tears. I just finished watching Stranger Things uh, 4 with my daughter. I won't give any spoilers, I promise. But, um, but I'll just tell you, I cried. I cried like a baby. I did. I'm not, I'm not uh, ashamed to admit that. Um, I got so attached to these characters, and uh, Bella and I, as we watched Stranger Things, actually talked a lot about the characters as if they were like our best friends. <laughs> we talked about them as if they were real people. And, and that's what good screenwriting does, is it draws you in and connects you with character storylines where you feel like you know them, and then if something happens to them, you're, you're, you feel heartbroken, and it brings about real emotions in you. And my prayer for New Heights Church is that we would deepen into those types of relationships in real life. I mean, sometimes we're so quick to get connected to characters on Netflix that we'll weep if something bad happens to them, but we don't know the people that we're sitting in church with. We need to be prayerful that we would be bold enough to speak to people and introduce ourselves to people and maybe even embarrass ourselves in some awkward social environments to say, I want to have relationships with people in my church so much so that I can be in discipling relationships and I can be moved to tears. And I can rejoice with them, and I can weep with them. You see, this shows how important Christ-centered relationships should be for us as we see Paul and Timothy in their relationship. He says, as I remember your tears. And then you have this bittersweet thing where it says, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. The, the sad part about that statement is Paul is longing to see Timothy, and we know from history that he never did again that he didn't get to see Timothy again, um, and that his life was taken. Of course, we know in the gospel he did get to see him in eternity, and they were reunited in Jesus' presence. But it's important to see what Paul says, I, that I may be filled with joy. That his joy came from people. Not a ritual, not a ceremony, not a church building, Paul's joy was filled by people's lives being changed by the gospel. New Heights, can we beg God to produce in us that same spirit? Can we beg God this month that, that he would produce in us a longing, that, that, we would, that we would be stirred up for the people in our lives that don't know Jesus, that we would want to do everything in our power to make sure they meet him? 
Can we beg God that we would actually live out this always striving, never arriving mentality that we talk about in our membership class all the time? Can we beg God to use us to reach people who are on their way to hell right now and God would intervene in their lives and bring them to life and we'll celebrate their baptisms and we'll live in church community with them? Can we beg God for that? Can we go forward with wet eyes as we beckon people around us to grace? You see, we're getting ready to take part in communion and as you... As you take bread that represents Jesus' body, and as you dip it in juice that represents his blood, and as you place that in your mouth and taste it, you are tasting something that so many people in your life are not tasting today. You're participating in a family that so many people that you care about are outside of right now. And that ought to break your heart. That ought to bring you to the table of the Lord with tears in your eyes for those who are not at that table with you. And it ought to propel you out of this building this week to go on mission to invite them back with you, to be a part of a family that's everlasting, to be a part of a legacy that will never end. Because when we come like that, we come ready to truly worship. And when we send you out, guess what? That's not just a a creative ending to the service so we don't just have credits roll. That is a theologically important part of our service as we commission you as God's ministers. You carry the gospel with you. And as you ingest it through communion, you should be reminded that you carry that gospel throughout the week as you go. So I just want to be in a place where we beg God that we would, that we would have this yearning to bring people along with us. And so if you could bow your heads... I'm going to quit preaching, but I want to just call on you before you come to the table to repent of sin and spend some time begging this morning. Beg of the Lord that he would wreck you and that he would use this season for such a strong revival and move in the spheres of influence that he's blessed you with and lean into that this week with all you have. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.